Yeah, he stayed up and watched all that hockey to see Nazem Kadri win it. Ah, good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Avalanche 3, Lightning 2 in overtime. If I sound disappointed slash disgusted, it's because it was Kadri who took a sharp headman pass coming out of the Colorado zone right at the Tampa Bay blue line. Pretty much undressed Mikhail Sergachev, who didn't handle the rush well at all. Turned the puck over to his forehand very impressively, despite coming down the right side and beat Andre Vasilevsky under the bar with a really good shot. That's as close as I can come to saying anything good about that guy. One of the cheaper players in the NHL and a very unlikely and unsavory hero to people back in the St. Louis series. Just yuck. But on top of that, the the other yuck component to this is that this, you know, if the Bolts had won that game, we get a little bit more hockey. We have a little bit more intrigue to the final. And now instead, the Avs are up three games to one. You can tell I don't have a horse in this race. I, I really don't. I just wanted to see good hockey and more of it. And now I have a, a very strong feeling that <laughs> we're about to see the end of the 2021-22 NHL season in Game 5, which, of course, will be back in Denver. You know what other feeling I have? Watching not just this final, but the Avs through the whole playoffs and really through the regular season, they might be doing this again. Remember that through the better part of the first two decades of the salary cap era, it kept getting stated that, well, you've seen the end of dynasties. There's no such thing as a dynasty anymore. And now when you win two in a row, it's considered a dynasty. Uh, first of all, the term gets grossly overused. If you want to talk about the Steelers winning four Super Bowls in six years, you can talk dynasty. If you want to talk uh, what the Patriots did, you've got a dynasty on your hands. If you want to talk about the Islanders of the early 80s, the Oilers who followed them, go nuts. But two, you know, just find a different word for it. The only two teams to have done it, as everyone knows, are the Penguins, and then shortly after that, the Lightning the past two years. Of course, it had been deemed unthinkable that the Lightning could do it three years in a row, even though they played shorter seasons because of COVID. But they came around, they made another run of it, and now it looks like that's going to end as well. The Avs? Hmm, I don't know, man. Don't they look like they're equipped for a whole lot more? You don't look at Nathan McKinnon and think, yeah, he's pretty much, you know, running out of gas. That's going to be it for him. No way. I don't even look at some of their better forwards around him. Gabe Landeskog has obviously been there a little bit longer. Uh, Miko Rantanen, Andre Burakovsky, they, they've got a bunch of them. And I, I, mean, I throw in Kadri too. I mean, he, he is a good player. But they've also got this crazy mobile defense that 
you know, even has Jack Johnson on it. And somehow you still can't tell that even one sixth of that group isn't mobile. And uh, yeah, am I forgetting it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr looks like he might end up being one of the best defensemen to ever play the game. And that's not the kind of thing that just falls off after a year. This is going to be a powerhouse, I think, for a while. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Anytime we think about what might happen in the near future for the Penguins, there's a natural and understandable tendency to focus just on the Penguins. Sidney Crosby's got three more years on his contract. He's committed publicly to staying with the team, to playing with the team, playing the sport for at least that amount of time. Ron Hextall told me over the winter on a road trip that that's the way he thinks about the Penguins as well. We've got Sid for three more years. We want to try to win a cup in those three years. All of that makes perfect sense to me. All of that, even if it comes at the expense of, you know, this element of the future or that element of the future without going overboard, makes sense to me. Because when you have one of the five best players who ever lived, and he's already won three championships for your team, you know, finish it right. Give him the best possible chance at another. Oh, and in turn, give yourself the best possible chance at another. Well, the problem with evaluating everything from a purely Pittsburgh perspective is that you ignore that there are other teams out there that might have something to say about it and who might be getting considerably better as you're looking around. The Avs look like they could be that team, not just in the West, but overall, again next year. Why wouldn't they be? Who else could conceivably be, just as an example here, the betting favorite to win the Cup the moment this one is settled? It's going to be Colorado. It absolutely has to be Colorado. But I'll throw this out there as well. The Panthers yesterday hired Paul Maurice. Uh, formerly of Winnipeg, he's been coaching, uh, head coaching in the league for more than two decades. He's a guy who's going to be a perfect fit in Sunrise for that group. I really believe that. Uh, they've got excessive talent there. And Maurice, the way he coached the Jets, will be able to take that group and work with their strengths to bring even more out of what already was the highest scoring outfit anywhere. Now, can Florida find themselves goaltending that's more reliable or more dynamic in the playoffs than Sergei Bobrovsky? I don't know about that because they're tied to Bob's 
ridiculously long and ridiculously expensive contract. But then Bob wasn't the reason they just lost to the Lightning. The reason they lost to the Lightning is because Andrew Brunette got brutally outcoached by John Cooper head-to-head against the Bolts. Maybe Maurice solves that. Maybe, and you're not going to want to hear this, but maybe the Rangers become that team. And not just by having people's heads taken out. There's legit talent there. And let's remember that the Rangers' most effective line, not necessarily the one that was the most productive, but the most consistently effective in terms of possession, was their kid line, as they called it, with a couple of very high draft picks. Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco, and of course, another youngster, Philip Heedle, making for quite the handful, and you know the rest of all those characters. That could be a team to be reckoned with. I don't know that anyone's going to see the Penguins as being in that bracket, especially not after four consecutive first-round exits and no exciting young talent coming their way. So, not to be a downer today, but yeah, that. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Todd Singleton, who asks, Hi DK, do you believe the NHL actively attempts to engineer outcomes through officiating influence? The third period non-call offensive zone trip by Tampa Bay in a Colorado scoring situation was merely the most recent example of a blatant officiating blind spot in a critical situation. Is there a bias based in Toronto that favors particular series? Outcomes, teams, big market over small market, narratives, or players that's actively or passively transmitted to on-ice officials. Todd, of course, is referring to the non-call last night in the third period of Game 4, and no. (laughs) I mean, I could just say no and call it a day, but that's probably not going to be enough for Todd or anybody Um, everybody gets mad at refs whenever they blow calls or in this specific case, when they don't make calls that should be made. And when they do, they almost invariably attach that to my team got hosed or those guys don't like my team or the league doesn't like my team or the league wants the other team to win because of this reason and that reason. While I do believe and have cause to believe that there are people within League HQ who very much have biases toward one of the teams that you mentioned, that being the Maple Leafs, and the other being the Rangers, I have absolutely no reason, none at all, to believe that on-ice officials are swayed by any such thing. I know that it happens a lot that a team is down by a couple of goals and you'll see the team that's down get the power play or even consecutive power plays. And you think to yourself, well, they're really trying to balance this out to keep the game tight. The way I see it, The team that's behind is going to be taking more risks 
to try to score goals. And as a result, they're going to be more aggressive, more on the attack. And thus, the defending team is going to be more prone to taking a penalty. Where do most penalties take place? In your defensive zone. I'm not generally filled with a whole lot of nice things to say about NHL officiating as a noun. I believe the league has many, many miles it has to cover to get their product where it needs to be, particularly from the safety standpoint. But I am not at all a believer in the idea or the casual references that a lot of people make. You didn't, Todd, but I'm throwing this out there to just flat-out corruption. Because that's what we're talking about here. When an official favors one team over the other, when an official wants to influence the outcome of a game for whatever reason, we're talking about corruption. And if it's in concert with the other referee, or worse yet, with the league, now we're going from corruption to conspiracy. Do you know how many different people have to be in on that kind of conspiracy for it to be effective? You do know that these refs eventually retire. Some of them become analysts on television. Some of them become very outspoken. They write books. Nothing, nothing, nothing stops them from telling the truth of what happens in their careers, as we've seen, heard, and read. So the idea that there can be some sort of broader conspiracy in which the officials in watching the world's fastest sport can either raise their right arm or not raise their right arm based on some sort of outcome that they're supposed to influence because they're in cahoots with someone else is so astronomically far-fetched that with all due respect, Todd, and you know that I love you, no, okay? Just no. Sometimes they just blow it, you know? As I often speak and write, when officials stink in a game, they stink both ways. We just only notice it whenever it affects the team that we're following. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins, and we will do another one of these tomorrow.